In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there really is no day on the church calendar quite like Palm Sunday, or as we call it, Passion Sunday. The day seems to shift themes right through the service, doesn't it? The service starts with joy and a sense of playfulness, right? Where we were all gathered there in the fellowship hall, we were chatting, the sun shining, a beautiful day. We march in, waving our palms, singing Hosanna. In fact, one of the clearest memories of church that I have as a young child is Palm Sunday, right? And it makes an impression because it's so out of the ordinary. It's so cheerful. It's so colorful and tactile. There's this physical connection to the gospel story that we don't have on most other Sundays, right? And we began with this great sense of celebration. But then, how quickly does it shift? Right? How quickly do we go from shouting hosannas as a congregation to shouting crucify him? And Passion Sunday does this to us. It reminds us, first and foremost, that we cannot shortcut the cross. We cannot shortcut around Good Friday. We can have... We cannot have only the celebration of Palm Sunday and skip Holy Week and then celebrate Easter Sunday without the cross. Indeed, they're all connected. And we certainly feel the shift in this service, and we're meant to feel this shift because that's what Holy Week is about. Palm Sunday is but the first day of this week, of this one event. And this week, the church remembers the victory of the Son of God over the dark powers that influence this world. Right, and many of us will be ready to hop with the world right into Easter egg hunts, to big dinners on Sunday, to new dresses, to tulips and lilies that bring the color to the season. Indeed, we're ready for the peaceful, joyful celebrations to get out of this cold, gray season. But what makes the peaceful, joy, joyful celebration possible? What makes our celebration possible is that the Son of God has taken on the darkest and most powerful forces of this world for our sake. This morning, then, we are invited to consider the suffering of our Lord. More than that, this morning invites us to consider how, in fact, we are responsible for that suffering. We're supposed to feel that responsibility today through the Passion reading, right? The whole reading of the gospel in a dramatic fashion is to make that point, that in some ways there's no difference between us and the people who would celebrate Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem and then who in a few short days will turn against him. The same force that compelled Pilate to give in to the pressures of the crowd compels us likewise in our sin to turn away from Christ. The same force that brought Peter to deny his Lord is the same force that tempts us to deny Christ when times become difficult. The same force that compelled Judas Iscariot to betray Christ often whispers in our ears that Christ is not really the answer to our problems. As the priests and scribes come to have Jesus arrested, they're carrying swords and clubs, and he says to them, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Holy Week calls us to remember this, 
there really is a power of darkness. There is a power active in this world that calls us to act out of fear, out of selfish ambition, out of hatred. Right? That evil is real, and we cannot understand the whole story unless we start there and acknowledge that the evil is real. And because it's real, Christ does enter Jerusalem, and he enters into Jerusalem so that he can overcome it and so that we can be saved from it. Indeed, Christ overcomes all forces of evil because he is the true king. One of the things that does not change during the Palm Sunday service, one of the themes that does not shift, is that Christ is king. The waving of the palm branches as Christ is riding on a donkey points to two things. Right First, there's a fulfillment of the Old Testament book, Zechariah, which says, see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That illusion the gospel talks about and we know. The other illusion that comes along with the palm branches is one that you may not know, but that the people of Jesus' day certainly did. And it goes back to the book of 2 Maccabees, which we consider part of the Apocrypha, which means some of us have it in our Bibles, it's not scriptures, but the church has considered it useful to read. And so 2 Maccabees tells the story of the Greek occupation of Jerusalem, which was about 200 years before the birth of Christ. The temple in Jerusalem was corrupted by the Greeks who made sacrifices in the temple to Zeus, and they set up altars to the Greek gods around the cities. They were oppressive to the Jews. However, a young man named Judas Maccabeus leads a revolt against the Greeks who were corrupting Jerusalem. This young man, Judas, eventually defeats the Greeks, and he leads a free Jerusalem. But listen to how 2 Maccabees describes Judas Maccabeus' victory. Now Maccabeus and his followers, the Lord leading them on, recovered the temple in the city. They tore down the altars that had been built in the public square by the foreigners and also destroyed the sacred precincts. They purified the sanctuary and made another altar of sacrifice. Then striking fire out of flint, they offered sacrifices after a lapse of two years. They offered incense and lighted lamps and set out the bread of the presence. They celebrated for eight days. And carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and fawns of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of this holy place. Right? And in this story of, of Judas Maccabeus, they celebrate his victory in Jerusalem and his liberation of the city of Jerusalem from the Greek pagans by waving palm branches in the street. Right? What did the people who waved palm branches in Jerusalem when Jesus entered the cities expect to happen? Who did they think Jesus was? Who did they think his disciples were? Well, they thought he was like Judas Maccabeus, and they expected him to fight in a revolt like Judas. They expected Jesus to use his power, the power that he's shown through healing people and feeding people, to purify the temple, to kick out the Romans, and to establish a new kingdom. Well, that's the story beneath the story, because Jesus actually does this. Now, he doesn't do it in the way that the Maccabees did. 
He doesn't do it in the way that the people imagined. Rather, he overcomes the forces of all the evil in the world in only a way that God could. And he completely disarms the power of the world. When Jesus is arrested and standing in trial in front of the council of Jewish elders, he says, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He is saying that even as he is arrested, even as he suffers on the cross, he is at the right hand of the power of God. Right? Not a geographic place. Rather, he's talking about the right hand of God, meaning he's sitting in the place of God's power. He's telling them in that moment, even when he seems so weak, so helpless, that he is, in fact, reigning as king. Right? And then it's in that moment, Jesus does not take his throne only in Jerusalem over Israel, but Jesus is going to take his throne over all of creation. And he wears a crown of thorns to showcase God's power in that moment. Indeed, Christ purifies not only the temple with the sacrifice of his blood, but Christ is going to purify the whole world including you and me. Jesus overcomes the powers of darkness in this world. And what the Gospels want to make clear to us is that he does it by dying on the cross for you. He does it by taking on your sins and by being made a sacrifice. He allows all the powers of evil to do their best to him. And he overcomes them and he overcomes the greatest evil of all, he overcomes death by himself dying. Neither the world, nor sinful flesh, nor sinful men, nor the devil, nor even death itself defeats Christ because he is the true king. But if we find ourselves jumping from celebrating with, with palms to celebrating on Easter Sunday, we'll have missed the true display of God's power, which is right at the cross. It was there he shows his power, power which is rooted in love for us. God was not willing that we should any longer be slaves to the powers of darkness in this world, so he frees us by sending his son to die for us. This week, then, we enter into that story. We enter into the story to witness how Christ the King reigns in this world. And at the heart of that story is this. Christ is taking on all the powers and all the forces of evil in this world so that you will be delivered from them. Amen.